Hello, good evening, and welcome to Def Leppard, the officially unofficial Def Leppard fan podcast. With me, your host, Paul Burns, and I am joined tonight by Andy Gibbons. Hi, Andy. Hello, how are you? I'm absolutely wonderful. And I'm also joined by Neil Poole. Now, Neil, how does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone? Oh, it's good because I feel like I can express my opinions more than I would normally when I'm on your side that you're on now. So, and I've got a lot to say about Diamond Star Halos. I've got lots of feelings about it. So, you know, I'm feeling good, feeling really good. Yeah, so everyone knows the reason I'm hosting this one is because Neil has got so much he wants to say and has been looking forward to say, uh, to saying for over a year now. But Andy, we're actually going to start with you because Diamond Star Halos, it is, to all intents and purposes, the most recent Def Leppard album, if we, if we park Drastic Symphonies uh, for a second. And what I wanted to do was just start here by revisiting the build-up to this record, because as I remember going back, what is it now, 12? At the time of recording, I think it's 15, 16 months, something like that. There was quite a lot of social media shenanigans going on at the time to prep us for this. And I wonder what you can remember of that and just what you were expecting as a result. Well, first of all, I wasn't really expecting anything album-wise, because it's it's like the boy that cried wolf. The amount of times these guys say in interviews, oh, yeah, we're always writing. And it's the same old, same old. And I think it, I think me and probably many others get to the stage where you think, yeah, well, whatever. You know, nothing's coming out yet. But then I think it was probably January, February time, there was uh, some of the behind-the-scenes staff were putting out uh, social media posts uh, saying they're working on Death Lap and stuff then. I think Rick Allen posted a picture of a sparkle lounge. So that kind of got people a bit excited then. And then, of course, as anniversaries and whatever rolled around for um, various events, they seemed to be highlighting certain letters like DS and H would be coming capitals. They had emojis for the uh, for those three parts of the tile. So, you know, people were guessing what they were, what's this going to be? And I think that really sort of hyped fans up, I think. And, you know, certainly I was taken in by all that because this is probably... Or, yeah, probably in modern times, probably the best sort of promo campaign I think they've done. I think Ryan and whoever else was working on it did a, did a pretty good job because anticipation was, was pretty high, I think. And did you get any sense of what you expected from the content at that point? I think once you, you know, I, it's an, always an eye roll moment for me is that when they start talking about their influences in, in interviews, and certainly on this, they started talking about how this was going to be glam-inspired and all their influences, and I'm thinking, God, no. You know, I, I'm not... I think I said before on other podcasts, I'm really into Def Leppard for Def Leppard, not to hear them do other stuff. So I fully expected, with the title being Down the Star Halos or the talk, I think I expected it to be more 70s than it actually is. And for me, I think aside from maybe three songs and the fact this has probably got the most hand claps ever on a Def Leppard album I don't think that much of it is 70s inspired to me but I certainly expected it to be a bit eclectic and a bit varied much like the 2015 album was so on one hand I was right on another hand I think I was wrong I expected more 70s which it's a good thing that it isn't too much 70s for me and one last thing without giving too much away before we dive into the songs how has your opinion shifted over the course of the, the year or year and a half that you've been living with it for? Obviously, you get that new album rush, that hype. And to be honest, within a matter of weeks, I pretty much shelved it because I really struggled to get into it. And I think it was probably probably since X, this, this has been the hardest album for me to, to get into and really enjoy. But I did play it on the odd occasion, but like I say, I was struggling. But as the concerts were coming up um, in Sheffield, probably about a month before, I started listening to it more, got it into more rotation. And the things that really grate on me from first lessons still really grate on me. And I think I probably would will date the album, I think, and we'll touch on those later. But there's a lot of songs, I think, that have improved their standing with me. So, yeah, going from not really liking it too much, I think it's gone up a bit in my estimation now. Listeners, if only you could have seen Andy's face when I asked that question. So pained. Uh, <laughs> Neil, this is your baby. We've made you wait. That's been that's my two-footed reducer that I've put in at the start. Make you wait. Let you know what we're about. So you've been living with it for over a year as well, of course. 
where does it sit in the Def Leppard pantheon for you? To put it into some sort of context, recently I've ranked every single Def Leppard song. So I've taken 160 Def Leppard songs and I have ranked them from first best to 160th best um, or worse. So just to sort of give you a general idea, which probably tells you where I am straight off the bat, there's one song off this album that is in my top 10 all-time Def Leppard songs. There's three songs in this album that are in my top 20 all-time Def Leppard songs. There's seven songs, so nearly half of the album is in my top 50 Def Leppard songs. Now, top 50 might not sound... You might think, oh, when you're getting around to 50, you're sort of running out of good songs. That's not the case with oh, Def Leppard, of course. All the songs get a score out of 12. From those scores, I then put them into some sort of order. So there'll be lots of 12s out of 12s, lots of 11s out of 12s, 10s out of 12, and so on. So when you get to around 50, these are songs that I'm scoring 10 out of 12. I won't get into why we ended up with a 12. It started out a 10, and then I ended up adding extra tiers of special, special songs. So yeah, nearly half of this album I've got in my top 50 Def Leppard songs. 13 of them are in the top 100th. And then the lowest place songs are 107th and 109th. Essentially, what that tells me is there is a lot of songs on here that I rate really highly. With the release of Drastic Symphonies, though, that's been a real comfort to me because you know I worry, Paul. You know I worry, Andy. And I'm thinking, how much is this just recency bias? How much is this me wanting to like it? And so on. Drastic Symphonies coming out has acted as a nice foil to this because Drastic Symphonies, which came out a few months ago at the time of recording, like Andy said, I had that new album rush and there's still four or five songs on it that I really like it. But since that first album rush or first release of the album rush, and even since we spoke about it last, Paul, um, a few weeks ago with Kurt, that album, although I still like it, is very much one of diminishing returns. And as each week and day goes past, it comes clear to me that I'm probably going to listen to it less and less and less. So for me, that adds a little bit of comfort in terms of thinking where I stand now on Diamond Star Halo 16 months after it was released isn't some sort of me playing tricks on myself or being overly kind on this album. I have another recent album now to compare it and my sort of journey with that album. And I love this album more than I did 16 months ago. And I loved it 16 months ago. And one interesting thing, and I think Andy's just implied it then, although some of the songs have grown on him, I put a thing out on Twitter and Facebook and what have you yesterday, sort of saying, how's this, this album aged for people over the 16 months? And it's really apparent to me that whether you liked it at the beginning or disliked it at the beginning. So from the start, Paul, you had a little bit of difficulty with it. You still have difficulty with it. Andy, you had difficulty with it after that initial one week or two. Bits, a few bits like you like more, but you know, you're sort of still more or less in the same place. I loved it off the bat. I still love it off the bat. All of the responses that we got on Facebook and Twitter and everything, wherever someone was, like maybe two weeks in, the vast majority of people are still there now, whether that be a negative or it would be a positive, which I think is quite telling about this album in terms of maybe it's not a grower or an album that changes. It's one of those where you either like those songs or you don't. They're either your type of songs or then you're not your type of songs. But in terms of its standing, there's going to be an album ranking episode coming out soon. But there's two other people on that. So it doesn't really matter. I am putting this number three in my Def Leppard albums after wow. the two obvious big ones. Wow. I think that the setup we've got here then, ladies and gentlemen, is we've uh, we've got a uh, like a tabloid newspaper style setup where we've got two people with polarizing opinions and they're going to have a big argument about it. So uh, this is something that would make the Daily Mail proud. There are 15 songs to get into here and... I think we should therefore dive straight in with the opener. Neil, I will come back to you first on this. 
as an album opener, how does Take What You Want work for you? I think it works better as an album opener and as a show opener, maybe than it does on its own. And what I mean by that is I love this song. I think it's great. I think it's a modern Def Leppard classic. I rank this song number 18 out of 160 of my Def Leppard. So this is the second highest one. Okay, so there's one on Diamond Star Halos that I actually think is better than this. But that, you know, the introductory section, that first 30 seconds or so, I don't mind it, but I don't think that adds a massive amount of value to this song, to be honest, in the same way. I don't think the introduction to Rock Rock Till You Drop adds a massive amount of value to that song, other than the fact it's at a different pace. So therefore, when the riff kicks in, it creates a bigger impact. So I like the opening for that. And I think it's a great album opener. But if you were to put this song somewhere else in the album, I don't personally necessarily think you need that bit right at the very beginning to make it a better song. I feel other than that, oh, bang, it's now kicked into the big riff and that that effect. So I think it's excellent album opener. I think it's a perfect album opener. I think when you look at the 15 songs that are on here, there's nothing else that you would open it with over this. And I think it's a great show opener as well. But going forward, and Andy and I discussed on the songs from the Sparkle Lounge episode, the idea that Def Leppard, when they have promoted a album in the 21st century, they'll play a few songs from it on that tour, and then they'll never go back to them. I really hope Take What You Want goes beyond this tour. And this is something that they do continue to play and it does stay in the set list. And weirdly, I'd really like to hear it later on in the set list because as much as show openers are great, you know, the sound's never perfect on on the opener and it just takes a minute to get in. And I would like to hear this like maybe as an encore or even towards the end of the set and actually see how it works then. And by the way, I was a massive advocate for this is the song to start the show with. But now I've seen that four times or three times. I'm actually thinking I'd love to see this on the next tour, whenever that be, be later on. Andy, is the first song on this album the best song on this album? Yeah, for me by far, I think it is. And I agree with what Neil says about it being a good album opener and a good show opener. But I disagree about the the sort of intro riff because that sort of, I know, I know it's compared to rock rock, but the sort of style of that, and it's, it seems quite happy. But I think when it sort of goes into the sort of dark... As you know, I quite like Death Leopard songs where they go a little bit darker. I think when the, that intro riff goes into those sort of dark screams and then to the heavy riff, I think that intro means that the jangly intro, sorry, at the start means that that intro riff has more power and is all the more better for it. It's like that headbanging challenge that you see on social media where somebody's listening to Enter Sandman or Symphony Destruction. I think, you know, this song, when that intro riff kicks on, it is impossible not to sit there nodding your head. And I've got to say that when this was uh, premiered on, on BBC Radio 2 on that breakfast show as the second single, I was so excited about this and I haven't felt as positive about a Def Leppard single probably since 30 years ago when when Let's Get Rock came out, it really, I really felt that positive about it, and I still do. Because I was trying to think back that this is quite possibly the heavy... I know single releases are a different beast nowadays, but I think this is possibly the heaviest song they've ever released as a single since maybe Let It Go in this country. I know they've released stuff like Paper Sun to radio in America, but in England, I think Rock Let It Go Sorry, is probably the the heaviest song before this. And that's a really bold choice. 
where I, I get the impression that maybe this wasn't intended to be the second single. But the reaction it got across the board from the fan base, I think, was was in the main positive. It, it's just what everything you want for a Def Leppard rock song, good riffs. Joe's, Joe gives this song energy with how he sings it in the register. So catchy. Great solos from Viv and Phil. So this, this is a great song and a really good opener. Yeah. Bit, I was of the opinion at the time, I messaged you, Neil, and I said to you, my most straightforward message when I first heard it, I just said, what a fucking song. This stylistically is certainly my Def Leppard. It doesn't necessarily tell us an awful lot about what's to come, though, does it, Neil? The next song on here is the, the song that was the first single that was played on BBC Radio 2 in the summer of 2022. And it's very different from the opener. Kick is a very different song, isn't it, Neil? I think it does tell us a little bit about what's to come in terms of what's really noticeable on Take What You Want. And I will move on to Kick now. Is that there's loads and loads of guitars in it. And I don't just mean the riff. And I don't just mean the double solo where the hands are from Viv to Phil. Just like little things between the lines in the verses, all of these like little guitar parts and all of these like little licks in there. And I think Diamond Star Halos regardless of what you think about it and whether you like it or not. I think it's undeniable that it's a very guitar-based album. Even though it's got a couple of songs based around pianos, there's just layers and layers and layers of guitars. And you've got some of the best Phil and Viv solos that you've got on any Def Leppard album, I would say. So it points at the album in that way. But then, yeah, you're right. Kick then comes out. So Kick is very much, and it's interesting that, and he was saying about like you know the band were like quite taken aback by how well take what you want went down because kick very much sounds to me like a, a song they would naturally write, but a song where they would be second guessing us as fans and trying to write a song that they think that we would like. And you hear that with the interviews with Phil when this came out, kick was very much written to be a stadium rocker and a stadium anthem, and also very much with, you know, the big, bombastic, sing-along rock song in mind. So I'm not saying it's a contrived idea, but I think there's an intention behind Kick to make it a song, a particular type of song. And interestingly, I think Kick's really good, but it doesn't come close to take what you want. And when Kick came out, I was like, oh, yeah, this is really good. I like it and everything. But take what you want blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. But as a single as a studio track as a modern Def Leppard song I think it's really really good it already feels nostalgic to me as well which is mad because it's only like 16 months old but it viscerally reminds me of March 2022 and the whole excitement of this album coming out and it already gives me that feeling like for example like when Let's Get Rock came out for Adrenalize in 1992 so for that reason even though it's a modern song it already feels intensely nostalgic to me and one that I think will be in heavy rotation for years to come. Yeah, I think I said summer 2022. And the reason I think of it as summer is because on the day it was released, it was a beautiful day in the north of England, which is a very rare thing for, well, it's a very rare thing most of the time, and uh, but a particularly rare thing in March. And we did a reaction episode for Kick. I remember you saying, Neil, that just it felt so with the sun coming in through the, the car windows and what have you and being able to crank mm. your radio up and hear a new Def Leppard was such a just such a magical feeling. I personally liked Kick in the first instance. It then grew on me a fair bit. The opening two songs on this album are, I think, two real high points on it. At the same time, I held a contradictory view, Andy, which was, and it speaks to something you said in the intro there about the glam influences. It raised, as the first single, it did raise a small alarm bell in my mind because this one does sound quite glammy to me. What about you? Yeah, this is one of the songs I was referring to, and this is this is why I was a little bit concerned that maybe the album was going to be more 70s uh, influenced and, and it would be more obvious but it becomes apparent when you listen to the album that that's not entirely the case, though, because this, I mean, this is very much in the vein of something like Come On, Come On or Back In Your Face, but this is a really good song. And I think that uh, one of the things that this album does, whether you like it or not, is there's lots of little combos between tracks or as groups of tracks. 
And even though Take is a very much a heavier song than this, when you listen to this, when you listen to Take What You Want and then Kick, you know, straight after each other in album order, the the opening intro to Kick just fits perfectly with the end of um, Take What You Want. And they sit together really well. And and just getting back to what Neil said, I think in a word, it's very sort of, Def Leppard are very good at it. It's very sort of contrived to make a Def Leppard single. And they're absolute geniuses. One of the notes I've written down here, if I can read my crappy writing, is it's a lesson on how to write a catchy song full of lyrics and hooks. And, you know, you've got the you've got the little hand clap things that actually, I think, work on this. But there's little sections within it. And I know you two picked up on this in the kick episode. There's a bit in the, um, in the second verse, but I prefer the first verse, where it's the pulse of a motor electric desire. There's something that changes in the music. I don't know if it's a Rick's hi-hat or if it's, it almost feels like brushies on a on a snare drum but that point there's a little trick in the background that just gets you pulls you right into the song and then that goes into another lyric where they drop the guitars out into like a big sing-along just the drums and joe singing and then you're into the chord absolute genius i think And this is this is a real this is a real high point I think of the album for me too. It's a great track. Yeah, add to that as well. That this is a fun song and it does have lots of character in it. You know, from the the bit where Phil just has a yeah in it and just things like that, which you know, obviously I think the last time he did something like that, or more extended was something like Make Love Like a Man. And obviously this doesn't go down Make Love Like a Man territory, but it's Def Leppard having a bit of fun. And there's just things in the lyrics, like the bits where like, but you keep dragging me in and all of this sort of stuff. There's we we talked about this on the Def Leppard 2015 album about how much personality there is in Joe's singing and how much attitudes. And it's great to see that vocal delivery has come from the 2015 album. And that's something that's still there in Diamond Star Halos that Joe seems to be running now, having like a real fun with ways of singing. Yeah, Joe loves certainly the bridges in particular in this song. I think you can really hear him wrap his mouth around them. A a song that all of the band seemed to love was, in fact, the third single. The third song on this album is the third single. It was released seven days before the album hit the shelves. It's Fire It Up. And I'm going to come to you first, Andy, because I want to to see if there's any agreement between you and I here. I think Fire It Up is really desperately weak being horribly honest, which I think is partly my role here. And everybody don't hate me. I love Def Leppard. Please don't send your hate mail. But I think this is, you've just talked about like a bit of a clinic in terms of songwriting, or kind of like an A to Z of how to write a Def Leppard song. This is really basic stuff to my ears. And I don't think we need Joe rapping or near enough rapping on a Def Leppard song at any point. And I'm certainly not sure we need it in 2023. And I just can't get over that awful siren thing that happens in the chorus either. So is there any common ground between you and I on this, Andy, before we let Neil talk about how presumably wonderful it is because he's a Def Leppard fanboy? I think think what songs like this struggle with is the fact that Def Leppard have already done Paul and Sugar on Me. So when you go back through the albums from then, you know, they tried to sort of replicate that sort of formula with tracks like I Want to Touch You and uh, maybe Back in Your Face and or 21st Century Show Largo and Let's Go. So it's impossible to ever get near what we captured with that. I don't feel as strongly as you do about this, surprisingly enough. And in fact, I've written down here that, and I think I've said this about couple of albums that I've done now with Neil that arguably you could make a case for this being one of the strongest opening one, two, threes 
since Hysteria. Because all three of these tracks are a lesson in, they're almost like a, a what's the word I'm looking for? They're almost like a, a snapshot of what Def Leppard can do with singles, rock songs, catchy stuff. And they're all caught in these these three tracks. And there's bits in this song that I really like. I love the little things you picked up on the just little phrases of loops. I love the little blaze on lyric. It's only, it's only two words, but I love how Joe sings it. I'm really not impressed by the section after the second verse, that high end, whatever else they're doing, that just filling time. I don't it would be a lot better if they've been that off. But I don't think it's it's as bad as as you say. And I think that it's probably it was it's marketed as the third, third was the third single it was. I think they could have picked a better one, but it's not that bad a song. And I'm really pleased that we eventually got to see it live at um the lead mill because otherwise we would not have got to see it. I'm not so sure it works live, but I'm glad we did see it. But yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Neil, so not much common ground at all, actually, between me and Andy. So am I right to assume that there's zero common ground between you and I on this one? No, not necessarily, because when this first came out, I was pretty disappointed in it. I thought on my first maybe week with it. I thought it was weak, to excuse the, the repetition there. But yeah, I thought it was weak. And there is a video of me on a beach somewhere sort of, sort of saying that. But it definitely grew on me. Grew on me quickly. Bing, I was able... I think it's a very disposable song. And you can say that meaning something very terrible. Or you can say it in a... 80s rock sort of way and this is and we all like quite a lot of 80s rock disposable music and i actually mean that then in the best sense of the word but at the same time saying yes this isn't stairway to heaven or or whatever it may be you know it isn't a, a a classic of the rock genre but i think it is a lightweight throwaway fun Def leopard song The bit that I like the most is the bit that you hate the most. So, you know, you said the siren um, thing in the chorus. I like that. I think that's what makes the chorus. I think you take that out and it just becomes quite a nondescript chorus. I'm not saying I think it's a particularly descript chorus as it is, but I actually think that elevates it. It's a little bit different for Def Leppard. And I think it is it is a guitar effect. It's not like, you know, do sort of flown in like like a sound from like the BBC library or something like that. So it is a musical part. So I really like that. I do like the verse. I don't it doesn't appear to be like a ma- a white man in his sixties rapping and embarrassing himself. It doesn't come across like that. And I know what you mean because these things very much can, but it feels m- more closely to a post sugar on me type rapping in inverted commas, if you want to call that. There's a lyric in it just where it says, blow a hole in the sun. Some lyrics just work. I really like that. From day one, I really like that lyric about blowing a hole in the sun. And there's a cool like little riff in it that's repeated a few times. That really reminds me of like a 1980s LA glam like little riff that I think works really, really well. I didn't think it was great live when we saw them at the lead mill. It was the weakest song that they played. Like Andy, I'm glad that I've seen them play it. Probably don't need to see them play it again. But to me, I see it as a bit of a pair with Kick where because of where they are on the album together and because they came out in close vicinity as singles, they're sort of a similar quality to me with maybe Kick having the slight edge 
But and again, as Andy said, though, I think if you listen to these songs in succession on the album, from Take What You Want to Kick to Fire It Up, I think that run of songs works really, really well. And each of those songs sounds better for being next to the other ones that we just mentioned, in my opinion. Just on that siren thing, I think they're going for any similar effect on that they've got on Pour Some Sugar on Me after the first chorus of Pour Some Sugar on Me. You've got like a sustained note, I think Steve does or whatever. And it's almost like they're trying to replicate that and chuck that into the song. It doesn't sound as good, but I can see where they're going with it. The song that closes out side one of the double vinyl features Alison Krauss and is called This Guitar. It's a Phil Collin song that was resurrected for this album. I think it was Joe who decided, Phil, this song's been lying around an awful long This is the album on which to do it. Andy, is this the album on which to have done it? No, not on any album. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Here we are. We've got some controversy thrown into the mix. Go for it, Andy. Okay, first of all, let me say that live, I thought this was worked very well as a band acoustic with Rick on his on his on his little kit at the front of stage this worked really well but when I mentioned at the sort of start of this that there are little details within this that really grate on me and I think date it and it's something that's or will date it and it's something that you touched on with the X album and straight off the bat that little electronic drum sound that starts on this just I can't I can't get past that I think that is absolutely terrible i really don't like that at all that effect that they've got on the on the snare sounds too electronic also whilst i'm moaning i'm really not a massive fan of collaborations i just really want to hear joe elliott singing that's all not somebody else and i don't understand what the fascination is or all the hype that they were given for alison Krauss because you know, she was massive, what, 15 years ago with uh, Robert Plant when they did that album. So I don't understand why that's such a big deal. Um, and also, you know, this spot on any... We, we've just been talking about how good those first three songs are and how they perfectly capture what Def Leppard have been all about sort of through the career since Pyromania. This fourth spot, I've said it before for albums, this fourth spot is so important where they, where they pull out a big balance, you know, bringing on the Heartbreak, Love Bites, etc. tonight, all those kind of songs. And if this had had a similar song in the vein to those, it would have made that opening to the album so much better because, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of this track at all. It's too, don't get me wrong, lyrically, it's very nice. It's, I suppose it's quite beautiful. And I like at the end when the orchestration builds it, that's a good part of the song. But uh, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of this, to be honest. One more thing I would like to say is that this song is 20 years old. It would be very interesting to know what they had planned for this before they got to this album. What was it before? Was it similar? Did they just bring her vocals in? Was it intended just to be Joe singing? I'd be interested to know what was in mind from the original demos. I, broadly speaking, agree with Andy, Neil, on the whole issue of collaborations. Uh, I mean, again, Tim McGraw, I, oh, it, just, it makes me feel sick. Um, <laughs> but their voices do blend together really, really well. Yeah, they do. By the way, the worst collaboration, the one that pisses me off more than any, even more than the Tim McGraw one, is the fact they just got Damon Hill to do the guitars on Demolition Man. Because that that's just so ridiculous. And he's done nothing to earn being on a Def Leppard album when one of us could have been instead. You know what I mean? I'm probably done the similar sort of job. So Damon Hill, by the way, that's the worst collaboration um, ever. Yes, their voices do meld together very nicely. I understand entirely why lots of people either don't like this song or hate this song. I had it on in the car, and my daughter said, she's 13 now, she said, turn that off, it's just stressing me out, okay? So, 
obviously <laughs> for some for some people it just doesn't sit well. So I guess I totally get it, and I think this is a bit of a marmite song, and it's either your thing or not your thing, and and it's as simple as that. It's my thing, Paul. It's absolutely my thing. I've got this number 34 out of 160 Def Leppard songs. I absolutely love it. I'll tell you why I love it. So firstly, it leans into a type of music that I like anyway, which is not country in terms of like your pop country, like your Garth Brooks or your Tim McGraw or that type of thing. But one of my favourite artists is a lady called Gillian Welch, who's very much like a female singer-songwriter, Americana, country tinge, goes into a bit of bluegrass, amazing voice. So that's a type of music that I am into and I like. Okay, I think Alison Krause's voice is amazing, like genuinely amazing. I actually picked up for one pound a double CD of her live with Union Station, which was at the band in the early nineties. It's the best pound I've ever spent, Paul and Andy. It's and her voice is absolutely amazing. And if you want to go out and check a song called something like Lucky One or something like that, it's a really, really good song. So I like her, not the Robert Plant stuff necessarily, but the the early nineties stuff that she did with Union Station. That's a little. It's actually a little bit more country ish. Um, I actually like all of that, and I like her. So therefore, her being on it isn't a problem for me, and it adds to it. I'm probably a little bit different. Where I've heard a lot of people say they prefer the Joe only version. I think it's a miles better song when she's in it. Um, to be honest, I thought it was excellent live as well. I would say arguably it was the best out of the new songs from when I saw them live. And interesting, I saw them four times. I saw them at Living. Living Festival, and that was the one where there was just lots of people there who were like fair weather fans who lived in the area and thought, we'll go to this Living Festival and see what's going on. And also I was stood near the back. And what was interesting to me is that other than Animal, Let's Get Rocked and Pour Some Sugar On Me, the vast majority of that crowd never knew any of those songs. So even if it'd be one that we think is famous, like a photograph or something, they didn't have a clue. So therefore, you could look at how the reactions to all of the other songs on the same level. And in that crowd, I mean, this tells you something because it's just full of people in the 50s and 60s and it's all very pleasant. And that that song went down a lot better than a, a lot of the other Def Leppard songs that we think the bigger hits. So what I would say is for some people, there is definitely an appeal. I really, really like the guitars in it. There's loads of guitars in it and all of the guitars sound amazing from the slide guitar when it comes in. I think the semi-acoustic in it is just really bright and works really well. I think the solo is excellent. I think the guitar sound on the solo is is bristling and genuinely, genuinely really, really good. like all of the orchestra in it it's a rich lush song that very much appeals to the romantic in me who likes rich lush songs so for me it's a big big thumbs up but i fully fully get why people would strongly dislike it i like mushrooms but i understand why people don't like mushrooms as well um this guitar also is the is the brother slash sister of a, a song we're going to talk about in episode two of this album review so disc two or, or side two of the of the vinyl the double vinyl opens with an immediate switch back to what we might regard as classic let neil with sos emergency Sailing in unbroken wings, I'm not ready for the fall. So pick up the pieces, get on the right track. Let's make a connection, tell me 
Yeah, and interestingly, this is one of the ones that lots of people pick out as one of their favorite ones, and it's probably one of the weakest songs on the album for me, which again tells you about what different people are looking for in a Def Leppard album. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just a matter of opinion. I like this song. I think it's a solid Def Leppard song. I've got this rated 97 out of 160. By the way, again, that sounds really low, but up until about 110, 150, everything's pretty good. I think the best part of this by a mile is the bit that Joe came in and finished off, which is the melody in the verse. That's the bit that Phil never had. And I think that bit, I think if the rest of the song was the quality of the verse and Joe's vocal in the verse and the melody in it, then it would be a much better song. But it's not. I think this suffers a little bit, like a lot of the 21st, well, anything from Euphoria onwards, where some of the choruses let down the songs. I think this is one where the chorus lets this down a little bit. I think we said this a lot in the songs from the Sparkle She said this on the Def Leppard album as well. And I think this is a continuation of a good, solid Def Leppard song that hits some marks, but doesn't quite hit all of the marks. Maybe this is another one, Andy, where my tabloid premise is going to prove somewhat flawed. What do you think? I think Neil mentioned that Fire It Up was um, a bit of a throwaway Def Leppard song. I think this is the perfect example of a modern-day Def Leppard throwaway song. You know, I think back in the day, they probably would have worked on this so that it would be more suitable to release as a single. I think that certain songs they take to a... I could be wrong, but I think certain songs they take to a point and then just leave them. And I think songs like Hallucinate fall into that uh, category and, and, and a couple of the songs offside too of the Def Leppard album as well. It, and this has got one of the one of the traits of this album that why it doesn't really resonate so much with me. And that's the fact that it all sounds a bit flat. And by that, I mean the energy of Joe's sort of vocal delivery in the chorus. It's just too sort of slow and there's there's no energy in it. And that's why it, it just doesn't stand out for me at all. The only good thing about it is that they've thrown in that sort of typical sort of fill lick over the chorus, like an animal style lick that he's got going on. But, you know, for me, the main issue is that it's just too flat. There's no energy and it needs something to lift it. And this isn't it. Yeah, Neil, if this had been written in 1985... There's no way it gets released in this form. B-side maybe does it a bit of a disservice because, I mean, I can think of B-sides from the Hysteria era, the Adrenalize era, that this is better than. So maybe not that. I mean, I think on the record, this is the second side, isn't it? And I think this is this is now we're into the worst side of the album for me. It's still okay, but this is where you're at that levels of the... Okay, not bad. Six and a half, seven out of ten album track that you see on Songs from the Sparkle Lounge or you see on the 2015 album. We're in that sort of area, I would say, now for this song and the next couple of songs as well. You, you mentioned next couple of songs. So my big issue with SOS Emergency personally is that I, I, I think the chorus is really poor. I think the chorus really lets that song down. And that, that is the case twice over with Liquid Dust. I think this chorus is anemic and dull. And the whole thing, to, to Andy, your point about it being flat, th this whole thing sounds bored and there's a, a real laziness to it. Am I being harsh, Andy? <laughs> I'm going against everything you're saying here because... This might surprise you, but when I mentioned earlier about combos, this, these next two, Liquid Dust and You Rock Me, are almost one with how they link. Mm. But you've just mentioned it's laziness, so you don't like that. But I've, I've noted here that there's something, what I like about this song is its laziness, and it's almost ethereal. Is that the right way of pronouncing that word? It's, it's almost dreamlike. Yeah, ethereal. Yeah, it's, it's almost ethereal. It's almost dreamlike how 
I love how Joe pronounces the lyrics. I really, really like that. I like the little lick, the Indian uh, guitar licks that they've got going through it. And you're right, this song doesn't really add anything energy-wise to the album, which has been my big criticism. But there's something about this that, that I really like. And I think it is that pure just laziness of the vocal. You, you just, you're just drifting along with each chilling out. And I quite like it. So, so against you again, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, not at all. That's what we're all here for. And, and Neil, Andy's made me think there. If if lazy's not the word, and I, I take the point about it feeling quite ethereal and sort of mysterious, but if, if lazy's not the word, is languid maybe a fair word here? Yeah, very much so. And I think it ties in with, it's one of these, it's one of like Phil's trippy eastern sort of mysterious type things that he likes to do and i think it comes from the lyric it's, it's quite clear that you know he had a title which was liquid dust and i think lyrically it's about that existential crisis of what we all are and you know like we all turn to dust but at the same time we're full of like blood and goo aren't we you know what i mean so it's like like a liquid dust flowing down to the river and all of that sort of stuff so it all fits in with that Eastern mysticism and you know you, you've got that in there in terms of you know there are little hints of a, a turn to dust in there in terms of some of the the arrangements you've got that Beatles-esque when you were doing the Indian stuff reverse sounding guitars I don't think the guitars are actually reverse but I think it's just whatever the scale is or whatever it's just sounds like that's just a slight reverse so it's got that whole sort of vibe and feel to it I mean, one thing I would say is I don't think there's a bad song on this album, but I think this is the worst song on the album. It dips below a certain level, which is, that's okay. You know what I mean? I think that's the worst that this this album gets. And this, but this, I think this is saved by what Andy's just re referenced. This song is miles better for the way it ends and the way it segues into the next song. And the next song is better for the way that it begins and segues out of the end of this song. So, you know, it's one of those where I think the whole is more than the sum of the parts here by these two songs being together. And I believe it was Ronan McHugh who essentially did that. And, you know, that, that was the production that put those two songs together. It was very much he went back to the band and said, oh, look, I've done this with them. So I think that's to his credit. And I think that works really really well people who listen to this podcast regularly will know that i enjoy a quiz every now and then so andy we're going to just very quickly you and i we're going to have a spelling bee so what i'd like you to do is could you please spell for me the word rock that's r-o-c-k and how would i spell the word me that's m-e and lastly how would i spell the word you why are you Neil, why can't Def Leppard spell? I don't know. Too much style working in spoon factories. I don't know. But I know what you're saying. So, yes, the, the spelling of this song that we've moved on to, You Rock Me, is is annoying. <laughs> Not least it just reminds you of a whole like sort of corporate world. We live in a phones for you and, and all of this sort of stuff where everything's just got these stupid names and Zs and the front of Ss and and all of this just terrible terrible grammar and bastardization of the English language, which is just a fucking disgrace, to be frank. When I saw the track list for this album, I immediately thought that's going to be the shittest song on this album. 
based entirely on the name. I thought that's just going to be a stupid shit song. And it was married up as well with what Andy said right at the start of this episode, which I totally agree with. And I'm so glad it never happened. I was really worried how much they were banging on about the seventies and glam and all of that stuff again. And about how that inspired this. I was really, really concerned about what this album was going to be like. Thankfully, whether it motivated them or not, I don't think it massively at all comes across in the album, and I'm absolutely thankful for that. And it was that 70s thing and the title of this song which worried me the most as bits of pre-information leading me in to the album. But it's really good. It is. It is. It's good. I, I love the way it comes in with the ukulele, although it doesn't sound like a ukulele um, as it does. I think arguably it drops off a little bit when it kicks in with the full electric guitars, but at the same time, it has to do that. It couldn't not do that, but I like the way it's a song that really, really builds. In the darkness, I saw the light The sorest eyes The sharpest side A supernova A black hole Took out my senses Why can't they spell? Maybe it's a a nod to some of the the fun in this song in terms of not taking itself too seriously, whether we think that's the right thing to do or not in the spelling of the song. So, for example, you know, there's what you love in this, Paul, but there's a Joe in there as well. Then you take the sha from Undefeated and they put all of that in there. So there's lots of, like, fun things going on in here and all of the oohs and all of the back and vocals and it's this in a way is a bit like what i said about fire up in terms of it's a fun disposable not meant to be taken too seriously rock fun song that is a good album track is fine but no one's saying it's you know it's lighting the world on, world on fire but for me far better than the bad spelling of the title would indicate it's going to be Andy. They they do reach for classic lep on you rock me. It builds to that, I think, in the choruses. But for me, the strongest part of this song is probably Joe's vocal and how Sab's bass riff drives the song along. That's what I like about you rock me. And then it builds into a, a sort of standard lap chorus, which is which is absolutely fine. But it's it's Joe's vocal and Sab's bass that stand out for me. And obviously the intro as well. Who would have thought that they would have worked together? But I think it does quite well. And then you need to uh, isolate all those oozars and whatever else as well from uh, from Neil and, and take the piss like you did with Johnny when a few weeks ago. <laughs> but just adding another song references. Just before the solo, there's there's quite a big chunk there that reminds me of uh, 21st century Shalalala Girl. There's little euphoria bits in there just before it goes into the solo. So you know it's a it, it is an album track. Yeah, you're right. It's it's nobody's. It isn't the best song on the album, but it's not a bad song either. I quite like it, and I like these two: Liquid Dust of You Rock Me or You Rock My as a pair. You know what I really notice in this song as well? I really notice in this, and you notice it in other songs, whoever's written it, and it happens a few times on this album, because they're recording them remotely and then obviously sending in what they've recorded, I've found that whoever's written it is really prominent in the backing vocals and the backing vocals in the chorus. And if you listen to the backing vocals in this chorus, it's just pretty much sounds like lots of Phil Collins as opposed to you know, your classic full spectrum of all of the Def Leppard voices. There's a Sav song later on when you listen to it and all of the back and vocals just sounds like lots of Sav. I think in this one, though, it's really prevalent where there's just like, there's loads of Phil voice in this. It's very much a Phil song, but it's really good. That's not a criticism. It's just an observation. The last song that we're going to look at in this episode today is the last song on side two of the vinyl, and it's goodbye for good this time. And I wrote down on this. I, 
I feel really bad. Neil, we'll come to you first. I wrote down on this. I'm so bored. I, I just at this point on the album, I'm really struggling. Yeah, and I can see that because I think what you've had up to this point is okay. You know, it's pretty good. Some people might think it's bang average. Some people might dislike it. And then there'll be other people who listen to this who really like that part of the album that we just talked about. But I've spoken to plenty of people who Liquid Dust, for example, is their favourite song, or You Rock Me is one of them. I would say with this song, this is the one song where my opinion has changed probably more than every other one in terms of when I first heard this, I thought it was amazing. Now I think solid, good song, but I certainly don't think it's amazing. I think I maybe got carried away a little bit by the fact it was different and I was looking for something different and it is very down and outy and I like that. But I think when you compare this to the other obvious part of the song to this on the album that we're going to come to in our second part of this review, this is by far the inferior of those two piano, Joe, down and out type songs. What I would say about it though is I think it's one of those songs where if you choose to and want to get into the lyrics and really think about the lyrics when you're listening to the music, then I think that does massively elevate it. Like a few songs on this album, it really is quite bleak. And it's a, you know, it, you know, it's clear what it's about. Goodbye for good this time. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be Einstein to work that out. And I think with them coming to a certain age now, and there's a lot of this just creeps into this song. He said that obviously this was recorded during the um the pandemic. And it's not a pandemic album, but interestingly, I think tonally, some of maybe just the the depression of those times and like, you know, sort of lots of people dying and and all of that sort of stuff. And I think this is one of those lots of us don't often listen to the lyrics of Death Leopard songs or put too much into them. I think that's I think people are missing things if they don't do that with songs on this album and songs on the 2015 album in particular, where a lot of the lyrics are actually really strong. And also on a slang album, where a lot of the lyrics are pretty strong um, as well. And I think if you take in the sort of the dramatic romanticism uh, of the music and then you know you take into context the part where he's saying things like, I'd move heaven and earth this time to cross that wasteland with you, which obviously gives you a sort of sense of someone dying and wanted to be able to cross that wasteland into like whatever comes with the afterlife. And if you want to allow that to sort of affect you and sort of think on that, I think all of a sudden what might just sound like a bit of a boring song, as you said, Paul, which is fine, and I totally get it, or just not your type of thing. I think the music then resonates a little bit more, and as a sort of package, I think it becomes a better song. It's goodbye for good this time As love lies broken in two For me, again, I like this type of music and I wanted Death Leopard to do something like this when that Down and Out album came out in 2019. I was very much of the opinion I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit of this on a Death Leopard album. They probably did twice as much as they needed to on this album. I think it only needs one of the songs and it'll be the one that we come to in the part two. But I think this is a fine song. Andy, listening to Neil has made me significantly less bored about the progress of the album because Neil's just great to listen to. Are you going to carry on lifting me up and, and perk me up despite the fact that the subject matter is a bit bleak or are you going to sort of come back down with me and say, yeah, this is a bit, it's a bit dull? I've written very few notes about this, but I'll tell you what, the notes I had written for this are lyrically deep, despite it committing the cardinal sin of nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. That was a oh. shocker. Oh. Can't stand that lyric. And he, they just need to throw in a midnight hour in there as well to, to sort of oh. play lyrical bingo. But so yeah, I put that yeah lyrically deep. Yeah, despite that uh, lyrical reference, but 
this is too far away from what I like. And I have written the word I find it boring, which which echoes what you say as well. And I also wrote down down and outs as well. And that I don't necessarily want to hear Def Leppard doing Mott the Hoop or David Bowie or whatever style songs on their own albums. And at this point in the album, I'd also made the note they needed more energetic songs at this point. So just as a, as a point of reference, this is what track eight on the album. So we just had, as much as I like Liquid Dust and You Rock Me, they are not very energetic. You know, prior to that, we had uh, this guitar, I think, before that. But if you you just look back at Death Left Album for the slang, you had uh, Gift of Flesh, Euphoria. You've got 21st Century Charlotte Girl. Uh, Death Flap of 2015, you've got All Time High. Uh, on Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, you've got Only the Good Dying. Songs that have got a bit more energy about them. And this is just one of my big bugbears with the album. Is they are just hitting us with flat, flat, de- flat delivered songs vocally, if, if that makes any sense. And it's... It's becoming very sort of samey in that regard. I think we just needed to mix it up a bit. And that's that's why, for me, I prefer the 2015 album over this one, is I think that's got more up moments. Because naturally, as you get towards the second half of these albums, they're kind of tearing off a little bit. And I think you just need something to, to pick me up. But, you know, I fully appreciate what Neil says. It is very lyrically deep. It is. It does mean something. But when you are bored, it doesn't really mean a great deal when you're thinking, oh, come on, let's, let's just raise the tempo a little bit. Hysteria, you've got Devonshire Shotgun and Run Riot, and Joe made the point then, they wanted to give people a kick up the arse at the hour mark to wake them up a bit. But then nearly 40 years later, they're giving us goodbye for good, and they're, they're gently rocking us to sleep with it. Now, I wouldn't entirely disagree with that, because my, I've said this is my third favourite Death Leopard album. The vast majority of that is based on the second side of this album. So the bit that we're going to do in part two, the bit that we're we we ha- we ha- we're not discussing um, right now, that's where it really pulls its punches and does some like really cool stuff um, for me. I think on this this side, you know, there's there's a few highlights, but as I said, that what would be the second side of the first album, the, the, the from SOS Emergency to Liquid Dust to You Rock Me to this song, I entirely agree with Andy. I think this this is a little bit of a lull in the album. And I think, to be honest, you've probably got to be a big Def Leppard fan and a Def Leppard fan really willing to sort of go the extra mile and make the effort way more than you would for any other band. And that is even reasonable to expect to really, really enjoy this part of the album. Now, I am that type of knobhead, so I do, but I fully, fully get why like for other people it just doesn't work and even if like they do love Death Leopard and they tried really hard which I know both of you have I mean I mean you're always feeling guilty Paul like sort of sending me messages saying oh, I just can't get into this I don't understand why because you love it and I've seen other people love it and everything which takes me back to what I said I think whether it be all of this album or part of this album I think it's either for you or, or it's just not and that's just the way it is. It is what it is. Okay, fellas, we've come to that part of the evening where we are going to draw a close to part one, but not before we have picked our song from sides one and two of the vinyl for the Deflet Pod Ultimate Deflet Pod playlist. Who wants to go first on this? Tell you what, we'll start with, we'll finish on a high. So we'll start with you, Andy, because Neil is so sort of, uh, enthused by this album, rates it so highly. Let's have your choice first, and then we'll go to Neil's choice. Take what you want. It's the, the, there should be no contest. Take what you want. It easily is the, the best. Song. But look, it's the best song on the album for me. So, yeah, take what you want, Neil. And if you and if you want a second, by the way, I'll say kick. Okay. Take what you want would be my choice as well. I think it's the clear winner on the first side of the album. I've got probably a closer second, not a massively close second, but I've got a closer second than um, probably other people might have, where like my second would be probably this guitar. But, you know, there's a big enough, there's a big gap between Take What You Want and this guitar, because obviously I have my 160 song ranking, so I can, I can add numerical values to these things, and there is, there's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a big gap between it. So, yeah, Take What You Want all day long, hands down, 
And I don't think there's anyone listening to this that would disagree with her. I genuinely don't. I think we're finished on somewhat of a high. I'm very much looking forward to part two. I hope, listeners, that we really dig deeper into the whole celebrity deathmatch ethos of this and uh, can come up with some even bigger controversies that have been pulled out there on episode one. So it remains for now for me to say uh, goodbye for good uh, this time. And I will uh, we'll all see you on part two. Take care, everyone. Bye, guys. Take it a step at the speed